Welcome to the Afghanistan Project podcast. I'm Beth Bailey, and today I'm excited to be joined by two members of REACT DC, which provides resettlement support and assistance to the multitude of Afghans who arrived in the aftermath of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and are adjusting to life in the D.C. metro area. REACT DC took off in September of 2021 and has since grown to include multiple programs that laser in on issues that are affecting Afghan immigrants deeply. Some of these include employment assistance, help with family reunification, outreach for Afghan women, and offering legal aid for Afghans who are seeking asylum, special immigrant visas, re-parole, or family reunification through the I-730 or the DS-4317, as well as uh, with work permits and green cards that are necessary to get life started here in the U.S. REACT DC uh, is also hopefully going to get involved in the effort to help with mental health struggles that new refugees are facing here in the country. So today I have REACT DC's uh, Chief Executive Officer, Sarah Cady, and the Career Pathways Director, Haseeb Delawar. Haseeb and Sarah, it's really great to have you here with me today and to talk about the great work that REACT DC is doing for Afghan refugees. Thank you so much, Beth. Really happy to be here with Haseeb. <laughs> Well, thank you, that it's lovely to be here today with you all. Thank you both. Um, I want to start, there are two pathways that I really want to pursue right here in the beginning. So we're going to do kind of side-by-side -side storytelling here. To start, I think it's really fair to assume that most of the listeners to this program will understand why React DC took off in September of 2021. Um, but Sarah, I'd like to hear the story from your perspective of the founding of React DC at that time and what led up to the effort and the first steps of starting off with this great program. Sure, absolutely. Um, so as as you mentioned, most of our our, our listeners and viewers are really well aware that um, the Afghanistan fell to the Taliban in August 15th, 2021. So we, um, my predecessor, Amy Martin, who's now the, the director, the, the board director, realized that there was a real need um, for services for our Afghan allies, particularly in the Northern Virginia area, because there's such a large existing Afghan population. So in the months following um, the Taliban takeover, thousands upon thousands of Afghans arrived to this area, and many of them left Dulles Airport directly. So this was before um, our Afghan allies were mandated to go to military bases for further processing. So the resettlement agencies in the area, and I used to work for one of the larger ones, Lutheran Social Services, really did not have the in-house infrastructure to manage a large-scale humanitarian crisis really unlike anyone that we had seen on U.S. soil since the collapse of Saigon during the Vietnam War. So uh, REACT DC was founded as a resettlement support agency and started with just a couple of people who were doing home setups for new arrivals like Hasib and his family. So they were moving furniture, helping our Afghan allies get the basic needs support that they needed, uh, and really small grassroots efforts from uh, professional military spouses and veterans. And over the last couple of years, we've grown and now offer, as you mentioned, a wide range of programs. Uh, our main clientele are still Afghans, but we are absolutely expanding to other refugees, realizing that we have a really fabulous model of trauma-informed client-centered care for new arrivals that really empowers them to succeed once they arrive to the United States. Oh, that's really incredible, and I'm so excited to hear more about that in detail. But as you mentioned, Haseeb's story was kind of continuing on at the same time. And so um, 
Hasib, from my understanding, you arrived here on August 15th, 2021, and I was hoping that you could tell our listeners a bit about your pathway to getting here. Um, I think you are a special immigrant visa um, applicant, or you might have at this point already received your SIV, but I'd love to hear about the work you did for the U.S. that supported that SIV application and then kind of your steps to leaving the country in the midst of the chaos that went alongside the impending withdrawal. Yes, uh, thank you for having me uh, to share my story here with you all. And uh, I, uh, my name is Hasib Dilawar. I was uh, born and raised in northern part of the country, Afghanistan. I joined the U.S. military and ANDSF to uh, support in a mission called Resolute Support uh, on 2015. And I worked as a cultural advisor and interpreter uh, till the end of the Islamic Republic government fall on 15 August. I used to work uh, uh, at, at the same job and then uh, that Uh, make me eligible to get the SIV visa uh, come to U.S. So uh, my uh, visa process was already done, but uh, I was fortunate that uh, my flight was scheduled exactly before the uh, fall of Kabul. So I got into the uh, airport and the, the time I got into the airport, the Kabul fall. So I was lucky among the, uh, uh, among the rest of the people who didn't go into the kiosk that uh, happened in the airport and out of the airport. So uh, uh, that was my story that I came exactly on 15 August and directly uh, I, I came to Qatar. We had a connection flight from Qatar and directly to the Dallas airport in Washington, D.C and i was in a hotel for a week and then uh, i got uh, a permanent address or housing uh, with the help of friends that uh, i used to have and uh, here plus uh, with the help of uh, the uh, other uh, uh, react dc farmer uh, Uh, boss and the colleagues that they helped me with bringing the uh, housing items and all uh, necessary needs that I uh, uh, I had at the time. Wow, that's, wow, that's really incredible to hear that you and you were able to bring your family with you in August. Yes, uh, I was with my family. I had my wife and three kids with me. And uh, we all came together uh, safe and sound. I'm so glad to hear that because I have heard um, some stories from Afghans who came over with the SIV program in that time who weren't able to bring their families and now are facing that reunification struggle that we're going to talk about later. Um, and it sounds like you had such amazing help to get things started. But what was, you know, you had the great help to get off the ground immediately and get the things that you needed, but resettling and adjusting, how did that go for you in your first few months in the country, Hasib? Uh, uh, in first few months, uh, I was, uh, when I came to uh, Virginia, I was uh, lucky that 
there wasn't too much overwhelm within the uh, resettlement agencies and uh, uh, plus I was assigned to one of the uh, Lutheran immigration and uh, uh, Lutheran social services which is called LSSNCA and then there was uh, uh, a bunch of volunteers from military veterans who came uh, who put their hands together with these uh, uh, agencies to help them for resettling Afghan arrivals so I was lucky to uh, face with a, uh, with a few of uh, my uh, uh, currently my I can say colleague that uh, they helped me in finding me uh, all the necessities that I, I needed like for, uh, they, they they brought me furniture, they, uh, they enrolled my kids to school, and they uh, helped me uh, with my uh, medical appointments and all the, the things that I needed at the time. So I w I'm glad that they, uh, they were there to help me at the time that I had uh, nothing else uh, uh, Rather than uh, rather than just lots of questions in my head. Sure, I I wondered too. The D.C. metro area has this thriving Afghan community, and so from both of your perspectives, um, Hasib, you could start uh, from from your perspective. Did you tap into that community when you arrived, so that you felt kind of a sense of home, even in this new environment? And then Sarah, to follow that up. You know, did React DC tap into that community to try to make sure that when Afghans were arriving and getting readjusted in, in larger numbers, that they were able to kind of plug right into this group of people who understood culturally and linguistically what they were going through? So, Hasib, you start. Did you, did you get involved in that community? Definitely. When I... Uh settled I tried to connect with the community members and uh, to you know uh, to see what we can do to better uh, help ourselves in a situation that uh, that uh, so many of our other community members on our uh, were on our way to uh, to uh, settle here and uh, we started to uh, you know uh, contacting the resettlement agencies, uh, that uh, those who have helped us and we were offering our you know uh, help to them in case if there was opportunity that we could help them in uh, to make the process easy for the rest of the people who are coming after we, we were settled here and is that when you found react or when you started working with react dc or did that come down the line I started contacting the community members right after like uh, I was settled here and before joining the React DC I tried to connect with people who were who were already connected with resettlement agencies and plus uh, I was lucky to got connected with React DC even before I started working with other agencies and then they uh, I offered my volunteer help I, I work as a volunteer for a few uh, uh, weeks till I was uh, hired uh, like as a paid job to do uh, to, to work in a project called the uh, surge staff program. So 
Before that, I was myself volunteering to help the community members at the time because at the time I had the agency support to uh, to to pay my bills and to pay my rent and housing. So I didn't have any worries, but to just help my community members to uh, settle them here. That's really amazing. Sarah, about, what about from you with getting that help from the Afghan community that was already really well established? Sure, absolutely. To reiterate what Hasib was talking about, um, when Afghanistan collapsed, a group called the Afghan Refugee Crisis Coalition formed in Northern Virginia, and REACT DC was one of the partners. And the other partners were largely Afghan-led organizations, so like Afghan American Medical Professional Association, Afghan American Women's Association, Dar El Noor Mosque, Muslim Association of Virginia, Fresh Start Refugee Assistance, uh, and a few others. So they came together as a coalition and they proposed what Hasib was talking about called the surge support model. And I actually oversaw it at my previous job and I talk about it all the time as an amazing model because what it did was it placed really highly professional, generally Afghans who had been living in the US for some time, some evacuees, uh, in resettlement agencies to help with the surge of arrivals. And so the resettlement agencies immediately got culturally competent, trilingual, bilingual Afghan staff that could help with things like case management, pro se asylum clinics, picking up new arrivals, you know, getting the kids in schools. Um, it was a model that I, I would love to see replicated around the United States because I really just think it infused the resettlement agencies with staff and resources and, and expertise uh, from the existing Afghan community and the broader Muslim community as well. Yeah, that's incredible to hear. I, I'm so thrilled to hear that. Do you know if that happened anywhere else in the country? Not to my knowledge, um, and it was a really unique proposal because the Afghan Refugee Crisis Coalition, while it was implemented through the resettlement agencies, they were able to get funding directly from the State Department. And I've been in and out of this field for almost 20 years, and it was unlike anything I had ever seen and so impactful um, in this area. That's really incredible to hear. Um, so what I, I assume with all of that great insight on what you needed to be providing for new arrivals, you, you probably had a pretty good idea of what initial services you were going to roll out. What were those services and what did you think the big needs were going to be? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, React DC started with really just doing home setups um, because the need was so huge. And we, you know, when you welcome someone into a furnished home, you know, if there's like a, um, a rug, if there's decor from their home country, things that it, it make the process of resettlement a little less traumatic. Um, and so then they evolved and did the surge support um, project. And now we have five thriving programs. We have the large legal services program. We continue to have a basic needs support program, largely that provides referrals for Afghans crossing the southern border because they have very limited access to programs and federal funding in general. We have a private sponsorship program, so we provide technical assistance and training for um, U.S. citizens and permanent residents who want to welcome uh, Ukrainians, Venezuelans, Cubans, Haitians, and Nicaraguans. And then we have, obviously, which we'll talk about a little bit later, Hasib's program, the Refugee Career Pathways Program. Um, and we have a women's empowerment program that we're deeply proud of. We realized that a lot of the Afghan women were isolated, facing mental health concerns, had limited access to English, 
and they have so much untapped potential, particularly in, in micro enterprise, um, that we're really in this upcoming fiscal and calendar year going to be focusing on fundraising and programming for our Afghan women. So it's a super exciting little grassroots agency that we think are, is going to be addressing the long-term needs of Afghans, um, not, ones, not only ones that evacuated in 2021, but ones that continue to come. Absolutely, because we know that there are hundreds of thousands of Afghans currently in the SIV pipeline. There are all of the Afghans who are waiting in Pakistan to be put through the USRAP process. Like, this is going to be a long-term effort, and it sounds like you're doing really amazing work to, to have this multifaceted set of programs. I'd love to talk, you talked a bit about the women's program, but mm -hmm. when did you realize that you were going to need specific program for the issues that women were facing when they were arriving here? Yeah, that was identified, I want to say, pretty quickly after REACT was founded. Um, and so we have a person that oversees that program, and they've done needs assessment with the women. Because we oftentimes, in social services, you know, programs sometimes dictate to people what we think they need. And so it's really important from REACT DC's perspective to hear directly from the women. And they were talking about isolation. They were talking about just wanting to be around other Afghan women, um, access to English classes, and then the ability to earn money. And so that's really going to be our, our focus in the coming years uh, is capacity development, giving women the, um, if it's like a sewing machine, you know, jewelry making kits uh, for people who don't want to do traditional employment, microenterprise is the way to go. And then if we have women that want to join the, tr the more traditional workforce, they're referred to Hasib's program um, for really targeted one-on-one -on -one job development assistance and we had a few months ago an in-house job fair um, that just Hasib and his, his colleague Fariha put together. And we had eight employers and 17 people got jobs that day, which is really amazing for a little in-house uh, job fair and life-changing for those families, whether it be the woman that was working outside the house for the first time or the second wage earner in the family. As we all know, rents in Northern Virginia DMV area are exorbitant. And we want to make sure that families aren't, are, aren't facing um, homelessness. And so sometimes that, even if it's a, a, a part-time job for a woman, can make all of the difference. So, Absolutely. Well, Hasib, I'd love to hear about the Career Pathways program, how it came to be, and what you've been doing with it, and why it's important. I mean, Sarah, you just hit on some of the big reasons why it's so important in, in that very expensive area. But... Um, how how has that been for you, and and what are you doing right now, Hasib? It's the main thing that if we want to help the immigrants is to uh, find them ways to stand in their own feet, and that's the employment. So we we sit with them and we uh, we review what they have done in the past, what they are willing to do here, what are the opportunities. And uh, we sit with them and we uh, make resume uh, based on the job market criteria. And then we, we do uh, some uh, cultural orientation according to the U.S. job market uh, requirements. And then we have some mentorship program. We mentor them uh, in, in this path. And then we connect them with the employers that there are openings from different companies. And then we offer, we ask them to apply or we assist them to apply for certain positions according to their uh, qualification. And then we do follow up with the employers and we encourage the uh, 
uh, and ask the employers to give chance to the immigrants that they are uh, really passionate to work and start, uh, you know, standing on their own feet. That's an incredible uh, effort. Um, I'm wondering, in the past, I have met many Afghans who, in Afghanistan, they did things like um, one interpreter I knew had been a doctor. And when he came here, he obviously had to go retrain here to qualify to be a doctor in the U.S. How often is that something that people are facing in the Career Pathways program, where they really want to maybe practice law like they did at home or teach and now they need that new certification. Are you able to help them find ways to achieve that too as they're working another job just to make ends meet at the, the same time? Exactly. Uh, there are a uh, majority of uh, clients that uh, they are willing to upskill uh, whatever they have done in the past and they want to continue doing the same career uh, they did in their own country. So uh, we try to, uh, you know, uh, connect them with those employers that they have, uh, they, they have their background and they, we encourage them to, to start from entry level jobs in the same uh, uh, career. And then we also uh, connect them with the resources that they can get some training according to the, uh, the the same career that they need. So that way they start working in the same field, though it's an entry, but on the long term, they get some training, they get uh, used to the you know environment and they, 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 they get uh, familiar with the tools that they use in the same career. And that, that's the transition to their, uh, the same career they, they want to uh, make here. But uh, on the other hand, there are other clients that they, they want to, you know, reskill. For example, they, they, they used to be a lawyer, but uh, going through the process of becoming a lawyer, it's uh, challenging, but it's uh, challenging, but it's possible. But some of them, due to their uh, current situation, they, they cannot go to the same uh, career, but they change their, you know, uh, career to uh, to other careers. Like for example, they they get some IT certifications. They go, uh, they they do some six to one year uh, IT training and certifications, and that uh, make them to work as an entry level job in a IT company or in any other, you know, uh, field that they they get the training. Uh, so uh, this is the same uh, uh, for other, you know, sectors. Uh, there, uh, we are we are dealing with the upscaling and uh, as well as as reskilling for the immigrants. That's incredible, That's and I like that it's a pathway. It's you might start in an entry level job, but if it's something that you loved before, you're still, you know touching on the same things that you did before, or if it's something new that you want to learn, you're learning it from the top or from the bottom up. That's really fantastic. Um, I wanted to talk about the family reunification. We mentioned it, or I mentioned it a bit at the beginning, but it's become a big issue in recent months. I'm always hearing people talk about family reunification. And so can you explain why families were separated during the withdrawal and what the barriers have been to getting them back together again? 
Sure. Um, and so obviously we all saw those chaotic images at the at the Kabul airport, um, which were deeply disturbing. And, you know, people had to make heart wrenching decisions. But oftentimes, you know, if it was like the, the male and the family that had been working with the U.S. troops or as an interpreter was oftentimes the only one that could get out. And so we've been dealing um, and serving with families that left, you know, women that left and their children behind, uh, certainly many males who left uh, their wives and their children behind. Um, we've, we've seen unaccompanied refugee minor children. Um, and so it's been an ongoing concern from, from mostly, obviously, a mental health and trauma perspective. Um, and so we are proud in our React DC legal services that we've just expanded. We originally started just doing asylum and now our, our uh, legal services have expanded. And so we are completing uh, the DS-4317 form and for people that have uh, received uh, asylum and or permanent residency, we're able to file the I-730. And so it is really on our radar in terms of being able to provide concrete legal services that will help people reunify with their loved ones. And then I'm a clinical social worker, so the, the mental health implications of, of being away from your family in a really chaotic, um, traumatic evac evacuation that needs to be dealt with and services provided over the long term. Um, I remember just when I was at one of the resettlement agencies hearing, it makes me really emotional, hearing one of the, uh, the, the young children sort of wailing in the background uh, because they had been separated from both parents. Um, and an aunt was, you know, trying to get services, um, but outside of her depth because it was the, the child was severely traumatized and, and really needed to be with with parents um and so we again are just really honored to be able to help in a small way and it will not solve the problem and many families will remain separated for years to come but it is something that is on our radar uh, and we will continue to expand our services if there's new pathways and we will keep ourselves up to date on um on on ways to counsel folks for the best way to be reunited sure i don't think we have i I certainly hadn't thought about it myself until I heard a heart-wrenching story about a young girl who was brought here by her father and his new wife, but her, her mother was behind in Afghanistan and she was just struggling so badly to adapt because how can you, and, and to know that the family who remains behind is under the Taliban now where life is, um, Jason Haug said on, uh, I think two weeks ago's episode that life under the Taliban now is short and brutal again. And, and how can you begin to move on when you know what your family is facing. Absolutely. So it's such an important topic and I'm glad you guys are on it. Um, kind of related, you mentioned people who are who have gotten asylum and it just makes me think of the episode we had with Jill Marie Bussey uh, several months ago now about the reparole process that was underway mm -hmm. because for, for listeners who didn't get to watch that episode, um, when Afghans like Hasib, although Hasib, you came on an SIV, so you were in a different category here, but many of the Afghans who came during Operation Allies Welcome were put into the humanitarian parole process, which is a two-year offer of parole. And so when we hit the two-year anniversary, many of those individuals had to then get re-paroled. And Jill Marie was talking about, you know, that process and, and some of the hitches that they I don't expected. Have you, boy. And I just wondered, you know, what are you seeing now, several months after many of those reparoles would have, you know, needed to be filed? Is that process going the way that, is it going in a positive direction? 
I would say yes. So when it was first announced, um, there was a lot of back and forth and people were unsure of what it would look like. And, you know, there was initial guidance and it would be retracted and every attorney had a different opinion. So React DC has now um, successfully had dozens of people apply for re-parole. And we were prioritizing people that could potentially be out of status, meaning that the parole expired, um, because that's not something that you want to happen as a refugee immigrant, anyone you know, not native born to the U.S. So we really prioritized helping people to do re-parole if we were worried that it was going to expire and they didn't have any other pathway to stay permanently. Um, and so for, <clears throat> I'm sorry, can you hear my dog? <laughs> he sounds like there's somebody outside and he is yes. very <laughs> I'm assuming it's my son coming back, but sorry about that. Okay. Um, so the, a lot of the confusion was also that there was something called auto re-parole. Um, and so if people had asylum pending, we were told that they did not need to apply for, um, for, for re-parole. And so there was just a lot of unknowns. Um, and we did have people that uh, unfortunately did lose their jobs because they did not have uh, an updated uh, work authorization. That was less than we had anticipated and we were able to do some really targeted um, outreach to employers to explain that if they had asylum pending, that they had this notice of action, that they were in fact um, authorized uh, in the United States to continue working. So I think we're in a better place than we were a few months ago, um, but we will continue to encourage um, all of our Afghan allies to pursue permanent pathways, whether it be asylum or finishing your SIV, because parole is, is deeply problematic because it doesn't give you a pathway to permanency in the United States. Sure, absolutely. and, and I cannot imagine the feeling, and I think all of this leads to what we've been discussing this entire time, kind of the, the mental health aspect of being a refugee, having, um, I wanted to, when we were prepping for this, you had sent me this amazing Military Times article about um, mental health for Afghan refugees, and I just want to cite some of the things that, that, that are in that article. Um, there's a 2018 European Union survey that found that 85% of Afghans witnessed or experienced at least one traumatic event in their lifetimes. The average Afghan saw or suffered an average of four. Um, and that uh, at least one in every two Afghans suffers from psychological distress. And then uh, a more pertinent survey was from the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, and this was a survey of new arrivals, from my understanding, uh, 1,815 evacuees, and it was conducted in the springtime. They found that more than half of respondents experienced mental health challenges, and that three in four said they have yet to receive professional help. And so... Yeah. I know that you guys have witnessed some of this mental trauma that comes along with living under decades of war, because it's not just 20 years mm -hmm. of war. This yeah. is war after war after war in the past century that starts to, it's just a, a generational trauma um, that yeah. then turned into this traumatic uh, return to Taliban control that caused even more trauma to be witnessed if you were at the airfield, for instance, mm -hmm. witnessing children being trampled and people um, dying in front of you. So, you know, what? how is that mental health, what is the state of mental health in Afghan refugees that you guys are witnessing and what are efforts underway to kind of combat the issues that refugees are facing? 
Sure, absolutely. So thank you. This, again, is near and dear to my heart as a, a social worker. I think mental health is at the core of so many um, things in life and your ability to th thrive and succeed. And so what I will say is that every refugee group, every group that's fleeing persecution and trauma in war does have mental health concerns. In, in my opinion, and I think the stats that you just read really highlight that it's probably more prevalent in the Afghan community because of the decades of war and trauma um, and exposure to you know, bombings and suicide bombings and kidnappings and all of that. Um, and again, then the, the really um, traumatic, difficult nature of the evacuation where people were, were making decisions, you know, that would uh, really ones that are unfathomable to most people. Right. Like, do I do I leave? Do I leave my family behind? Am I passing, you know, children through gates like things that are, are just not commonplace in the in, you know, the American psyche and that are deeply um, traumatizing to people and can you know, really alter your brain chemistry, your ability to function. So from my professional opinion, I think the rates of undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder in the Afghan evacuees are probably much higher um, than some of the other refugee populations that the U.S. has, has served. Um, and so I remember I had a, a client, um, the, the husband came in and said that, I mean, and this was now six months ago, so it had been like a year and a half since they had been in the U.S., that his wife like, had never really left the house, right? And, and that's, that's because she's deeply traumatized, right? Um, and then, you know, Afghan families are, are large. I think we're seeing um, large uh, numbers of undiagnosed postpartum depression. Um, and so there are efforts underway, and uh, REACT would like to get into the um, mental health arena. We're looking at partnering with Azania International next year, who is founded by a cross-cultural uh, licensed mental health clinician. But because there is still a stigma um, in many cultures about mental health, not just the Afghan culture, you know, we want to do it in a way that's talking about promoting wellness, um, talking about decreasing isolation, uh, talking about just your ability to thrive um, in the United States. Uh, and we're looking at things like uh, 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 EMDR, which is um, the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So one of like a really profoundly... Um, therapeutic great rates of success in reducing uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, but one that it would take us, you know, weeks and months to, to implement because we would have to um, have trust in the community and that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different modality. Uh, but you can do it in group, you can do it using tapping, you don't actually have to use the, the EMDR traditional modules, um, but one that is, again, I think just deeply important to react in general. Um, because we understand the, level, the levels of trauma. And then, you know, the loss of status, adjusting to life in the U.S. Uh, apart from the trauma. You had mentioned, you know, many um, Afghan doctors, I mean, refugee physicians that, you know, will never be able to practice in the field again. That's also an ongoing, you know, deep loss for them that can exacerbate mental health conditions. So one that programs like uh, Hasib's are, are looking to address to, to help people get back into their career fields. Well, Hasib, I'd like to revisit your story now that we're kind of coming towards the end of uh, the episode and just what has the adjustment process been like you for the last year and a half? I've heard about the beginning of, you know, kind of coming in and joining React DC and the incredible work you're doing through Career Pathways. But what about your family adjustment and being part of the community around you? Are you feeling acclimated? What, you know, what is your sense of being in the U.S. now? Uh, uh, 
before coming to this, I would just have on the uh, the on the mental health that uh, sorrow just say, and you know we have a saying in our uh, culture that dying together is a celebration. Though we had uh, so many war and traumas back in the country, but we were all living together with families, friends, and everybody had the same situation. That way, it. Uh, it doesn't cost too much of, you know, uh, mental health back in the country. But uh, leaving all families and everything uh, behind coming to an extremely individualized country from an extremely socialized and, you know, joint families way of living and everything, it will be itself a challenge. So uh, that... Uh, for, uh, uh, leaving everything behind and coming and uh, uh, living in a way that you don't know your neighbors, you don't talk too much with your friends and you don't know anybody where you live just in your apartment and you and your kids and family. And so this is itself a challenge, even if they are having a good income and a good, you know, uh, uh, hobbies or whatever but uh, it's uh, this itself is a challenge apart from you know uh, what if we go beyond the traumas that they have faced on their path to coming to the US they wait long time in the air bases and uh, you know the military bases so uh, I, I can I, I can understand that those uh, those are the, the challenges that we uh, uh, we have to, uh, we don't have to expect, you know, uh, the, the normal way of treatment from such traumatized community uh, if there are some, you know, uh, some abnormality. So it's uh, not uh, because of the nature of the community members, uh, but because of the the traumas and the way they have gone through. So for my family, coming back to, uh, to your question, for my own family, I keep myself with the kids and the, my family because I can understand if uh, I leave my wife alone without giving my time to them, it would make worse the life for her and for my kids. I keep you know, uh, taking them to the hobbies, different, uh, you know, uh, hobbies that there are available in the community or in the society. And I keep, uh, you know, asking them to, uh, encouraging them to learn the language and uh, integrate in the society, go find friends and talk to the people. And, uh, in, and, and also I encourage to uh, start working because Kids are happier than the moms. Kids can go to school, they can uh, get along with their uh, classmates and uh, they are happy, uh, not too much comparing with, you know, the, 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 the trauma is more with the women who are uh, living alone at home. So that's the big challenge that uh, for, for, for me, we are trying to keep ourselves positive and happy and talk to the community members and talk to the people who are around us. And that that's how we are making the life easier for us. Yeah, replicating yeah. some of that community. 
that is so famous in Afghanistan and it's it's so different here it really is so I, I can imagine and you know what I think that the U.S. could could take some of that Afghan spirit of community and run with it ourselves I think it would make us a happier country to do that to be more close with our neighbors and I say this knowing that I know very few of my own neighbors' names, so I need to take that to heart myself. Um, but I love that, Haseem. That's great that you guys are, are working on that in a positive way. Um, as a final question for both of you, I'd love to know what can our listeners do to support React DC and Afghan refugees around the country? Sure. So that's a great question. We're in a, um, a phase right now where we really want to rejuvenate our volunteer base. Um, and so in 2021, we had lots of volunteers um, and they've sort of uh, tapered off. And so we really want to uh, rejuvenate our volunteer pool. You can visit our website at www.reactdc.org. Um, and we need volunteers to drive women um, to jobs, interviews. We need uh, resume prep, ESL, um, you know, if you have connections to employers if you have a passion for mental health. There's just so many different opportunities to get involved. Um, and then we always ask that people can, uh, can continue to advocate for the passage of the Afghan Adjustment Act. So that's legislation um, that has not passed yet that would allow all of our Afghan allies to, without going through the burdensome um, asylum process, obtain permanent residency. So that's another way to get involved. Um, and uh, Haseeb, do you have other thoughts on, on ways to, for people to engage either with your program or with React in, in general? Uh, I think you, you mentioned everything that, uh, that was needed, actually. We, uh, we really uh, need more hands to put together with our hands and uh, to, to, to have better achievements. Uh, no mission is possible with a, alone with ourselves. So the missions are easier when we have a lot of hands with us and lots of support from the, uh, you know, from the society. So uh, we encourage everybody to put their hands together to help uh, the new Americans, I can say, to, to uh, get easily settled and be a positive and uh, uh, and a good, productive member in the society. Those are great answers. And before we close today, I want to put out the uh, the ever important call. Uh, Michael and I like to end every episode with a letter from an Afghan about uh, their situation. You know, prior to the withdrawal, during the withdrawal, after the withdrawal, just anything that they've experienced in life that they would like to the world to hear from their own. Um, pen or mouth if you can send you know an audio file so if you would like to have your episode or your story included in a future episode and you're you know whether you're in the u.s in a third country in afghanistan still you can send your correspondence to our show address which is the afghanistan project podcast at gmail.com um, and then Sarah and Haseeb, I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing for Afghans who are newly arrived and looking to start a life in America. It's really an incredible effort at React DC. Thank you so much, Beth. Um, it's really been the, the biggest privilege of my entire professional life to work with our Afghan allies. So it's our pleasure. Uh, thank you, Beth. Uh, I'm really proud of working in such an amazing program to help the uh, 
refugees and especially the community members. I'm proud of my job and my work. Well, thank you all. And thanks to our listeners for sharing their time and supporting the people of Afghanistan. As always, Tasha Kaur, and I hope to see you again soon.